we are Christians, you and I operate by a different world view or a different view of the world. How many of you have heard that term world view? You ever heard that word? It's a philosophical term, how you philosophically see things as they are. Well, because we're Christians, we have a worldview that's been given to us. We have a lens through which we see the world, and that lens is the Word of God. We just sang this song, Ancient Words. Well, it's a song that talks about the Scripture. These are the words that the prophets and the apostles have given to us to teach us how to view the world, to teach us how to know who God is. And so we operate, we live we believe we have a different philosophy than the world. We have a different set of standards and rules that we live by. So a lot of times you hear me talk about the culture. A lot of what I mean whenever I bring up those issues within the culture <clears throat> is not that we believe that or that's, that's defining who we are, but that's the persuasion that's in our lives. We are persuaded by the world. We are persuaded by the philosophies of this world. We are impacted by that. And especially our kids. Our kids are the most impressionable minds in this room. And it doesn't matter. A, 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 even, even young adults are still impressionable. We allow songs, like for example, country music has a certain philosophy. And there are certain things within those songs that have a certain message. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe those messages or rock music or TV or entertainment. There are certain, uh, or even social media. There, we have a big thing today in our culture called influencers. And these are people who influence the culture. They influence other people by giving their opinions and their views. And whether you realize it or not, you are being impacted by that. That's why sometimes when you come to church and you hear certain things, but then you go and you hear music and it says something different or you hear these influencers and they're saying something different. Well, there's a reason. Because we are different. And as a believer, we've got to recognize we have a different worldview. I told you earlier, our culture today, we have a generation coming up that is terrified of commitment. They don't want to commit. They don't want to commit to anything. I grew up, many of you grew up, whenever people, some people used to get a job, they would go to work at a place and they would stay there till they died or they retired. And there was a commitment. We saw a greater commitment in church. And over the years, we've seen a lessening of commitment, a reduction of commitment. And we're seeing that in the marriages, in marriages and in the homes and in families. And so no wonder we've got a generation coming up. They're skeptical. They don't believe it works. And, and so they are naturally skeptical. They're influenced in that way. I don't want to talk to you about commitment this morning. And, and so I want to define and I want to give an example, both in the same way, uh, of what commitment, in, what commitment is. One of the words that I would use to describe my relationship to my wife is commitment. I am committed to that woman right there. Her name is Ryan Cook. When it's Ryan Ferris Cook, she's in trouble. But it's Ryan Cook when she's not in trouble. It's, that's my wife. And we are committed. I am committed to my wife. Now here's what that means. Commitment is me placing myself under obligation to her. That's a choice. I obligate myself to my wife. I see myself as the only person in the world devoted to living a life of serving my wife. No one else is responsible to protect my wife. No one else is responsible to provide for my wife. No one else is responsible to please my wife. She's my responsibility. And I am committed to her. 
I'm devoted to being faithful to my wife. I'm not looking for another woman. I'm not wishing my wife would be a different person. I'm committed to my wife in every single way, in the very person that she is. My wife and I had this conversation the other day. She said, the things I used to be annoyed at by you are the things I'd miss the most if you were gone. And I could begin to wonder, I don't know what she means by that. I may be going out sooner than I realize, but, <laughs> but she's telling the truth. The longer we're together, the more we appreciate everything about each other. The more we love about each other. But it's through that commitment that we see the sweetness of a relationship and all that a relationship has to offer has nothing to do with emotion. Let me tell you what emotions do. Emotions will always follow the commitment. They never lead. Because if your emotions are leading your commitment, in other words, if you feel like being committed, you will not be committed most of the time. And so emotions are secondary or tertiary. They're down the road. But my relationship to my wife is the greatest human relationship on earth. She's everything to me. But the question that I want us to look at is what is it that makes one so committed? What is it that makes me committed to my wife? You see, commitment is developed through a change of desire. It's something that's developed a desire is something you long for. At one time, my desires were for me. My desires were selfish. I wanted a certain, certain things and, and it was selfish of me and I had my goals and I had all of these things. But whenever I met my wife, whenever we got married, I began to identify with my wife and over the years especially, all of those desires have shifted to where I want to please her more than Myself, I would rather my wife be happy than me. Now, there are moments, let me just say this. I wish that what I was saying was true all the time. But there's moments where I'm just still selfish. There's a lot of those moments. But ultimately, I can stand here with all honesty and look at every one of you and I and say, my greatest desire is to please my wife. I want her to be satisfied. And we must make that decision every day to be commit committed to each other. But before I can commit to my wife, I must first be committed to who, brothers and sisters? Christ. I can't give her the commitment that she deserves and needs until I am committed first to Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. You see, commitment never is able to come from the flesh. If it does, it will always be selfish. It will be a selfish commitment. And there are a lot of those. Families who are committed to Christ will be committed to others, to each other. They should be committed to each other. Husbands who are committed to Christ will be committed to their wives. Wives who are committed to Christ will be committed to their husbands. Children who are committed to, their, to Christ will be committed to their parents and vice versa. The more we love Christ, the more we're going to love each other as a family. That's just the truth of it. Now notice in the book of Colossians, Paul wants believers to understand what their relationship to Christ means. And so we see Paul say two big things, and once in Colossians 2, and then we read it in Colossians 3. But look in Colossians 2 and verse 20, and listen to what Paul says. Listen to the contingency. If with Christ you died. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have died to self, if you've become alive to Jesus, if you have died with Christ, or with Christ you died, to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now, this is a personal question Paul is asking to the church at Colossae. And he's saying, hey, if you've died with Christ, then why are you still attracted to your man-made rules and regulations? They have no value in your life, and these are things that are passing away. They're temporary. Now notice, they're committed. But remember what I said earlier? There's a selfish commitment. They were committed to religion that was self-serving. 
They were committed to what was, what was benefiting them. And so he's saying, but if you've died with Christ, why are you still so attracted to these things? You see, something should have changed in you through your relationship with Christ. You should be different, he's saying. Now then, fast forward to Colossians 3.1. Again, he says in Colossians 2.20, if you have with Christ, if you've died. But here he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. That's the, the old life. You should be done away with that. But now there's a new life. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. In other words, the things of this world should not be what you're passionate about. There are things that God has given us to enjoy. We shouldn't hate the world. We should enjoy the world. In many ways, God has given so much of this world for us to have as pleasure. God doesn't want us to walk around and be a bunch of miserable people. But how are you going to ever really enjoy the world unless you don't have to have those things? They're just there for enjoyment. You're not worshiping those things because you're worshiping the Lord. He has the center of your attention and your affection. So because this new life, we have a different affection. Something has changed. The desire in us has changed. We're no longer seeking certain things. We're looking for these other things. So as a community of redeemed people, we are to love, we are to worship, we are to have our affections set on God and the things that he has to offer. Paul introduces us to a door. It's a door that really hinges both ways. In one way, this door opens, allowing us to leave the old things behind and as we enter, we come into another side of that door that introduces us into a new way of life. So it's an exit and it's an entrance. So listen to what he says in verses 5 through 11 of Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, this is what you're leaving. This is you're exiting this, you're leaving this behind. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. What are you to put away? Put away anger, wrath, malice, and slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That shouldn't be part of who you are. You're different. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there's no circumcised, there's no uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Cynthia, no slave, no free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, he's not looking at you based on the skin color or what status you have. God is looking at you on the basis of one thing and one thing only, and that's whether or not you're committed to him whether or not you belong to him. That's what he's most concerned about is your commitment to him. And it doesn't matter your status, your, your, your skin color, none of that stuff matters. Are you committed to Christ? And Paul is saying that Christ is everything to the believer. And if you're a believer, he's, he's, he, he really is your everything. When you get down to it, Christ is all in all. We are deeply committed to him because of our faith. And there are some things we're dead to, and there are some things that we're alive to. There are some things that we've grown to despise, and there are some things that we've grown to love. Now, let me just say something right here. Let me pause. Because I'm reading through that, and every one of us struggle with sin, right? I mean, we still struggle with some of those things. We, we struggle with anger. We struggle with, with lying or, or slander. Or, there's things that we struggle with, but let me just say this to you. If you ever find yourself engaging in any one of those sins, as a Christian, let me tell you how you will feel. You will feel dirty because you hate that you did it. You hate that you committed that sin because you hate that sin. The issue is in the desire. And so we're not to desire those things, but we're also to move away from those things. We're to continually be pursuing something else. Because we're left one door, we're coming into another door where new creatures created in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come, we are now dead to self, 
We are to put to death those things that don't please God. And, and we understand how we feel about those things through that relationship. But listen to what we're to put on. Look here in verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who you are to Christ. That's how he sees you. Compassionate hearts. That's what you're to put on. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Things you once were, guess what God did? He obliterated those things. He's given you new life. He took away those desires or he took away those things from you. So positionally, we are righteous with Christ. But again, we still have the flesh that we exist in. So yeah, there's still an attraction. That's why he's writing these things so that we will flee those things. And we will flee to those things that are holy and right. Notice something here. Paul is not talking about a committed life just as an individual. He's talking about this as a church. But there's a, an extended context. And this is where I want to bring it down into the family. Because he's talking about these things. He's talking about this as a body of believers. And he's saying as a whole, as a group, this is what I want you to see as part of your body as Christians, as a, as a church. But what is the church made up of? Made up of families. In the same context, look at what he says down in verse 18. So he just finishes all of that. And then this is what he goes right into. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now we could spend all day in that. I'm just giving you that to show you the context. The church is to be made up of the homes. And before we're going to come to church and be all of those characteristics, express all those characteristics to each other, that must take place first in the home. If you're not going to do that in your home, how are you going to do that at church? And so you really see there's two contexts here. One is with the church, one is with the home. My focus is going to be on the home. And so I'm going to do something this morning. We're going to go through this list in chapter 12. We're just going to go through the list. All I'm going to do is highlight and I'm challenging you, moms, dads, and children. And I'm challenging those of you who are single, those of you who are widowed, apply this to you at church. Apply this to you with your other family, with your family that may not be here, your grandchildren or your parents or whatever it may be. There's ways that you can apply this as well. But I'm challenging our husbands and our wives, our children this morning as we go through this list. Now, here's your first challenge. As I go through this list, you are not permitted to look at your spouse and go, mm, he's talking to you on that one. You can't do that. And you can't pass it off to the person sitting next to you. I want you to hear every one of these things that Paul lists. That is a characteristic of what it looks like from someone who is committed to Christ. This is what it should produce in your life. See that personally. Recognize that for you. That's your first challenge. Second thing is, I want to challenge you, dads, moms, and children, apply these things in your home. You apply what God's Word says in your home on these things. Very practical. It's going to be very simple. We're just going to go through this list. So here it is. Follow along with me. Commitment to Christ leads to a home of compassion. A commitment to Christ leads to a home of compassion. Look at what it says verse 12. Because he's talking about a commitment to Christ. You're all, Christ is everything. He's all in all. If you've died to yourself... If you have come alive to Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, if that's who you are, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, there are certain things that you're leaving behind and there are certain things that you're pursuing. And the first thing is compassion. He says you're to have compassionate hearts. 
Compassionate, brothers and sisters, means I care about you. I care about who you are as an individual. I care about your needs. I care about your wants. Compassion is a very big word. Compassionate hearts, though in this context, means suffering with someone. Now, Paul doesn't mean hurting for somebody. It's easy to hurt for somebody. But it's another thing to hurt with somebody. When you have compassionate hearts in the home, you're never inconvenienced to listen and to understand and empathize with your spouse or with your children. It's never an inconvenience. It shouldn't be. It should all, there, should all, there should be in every Christian home a willingness to suffer with one another. Now, let me tell you how this typically works. Oh, you'll be all right. Get over it. That, that happens in homes. You just need to get over that. Now, you stop it. You're really, bringing, you're really bringing me down right now. Just stop it. Just No. It's understanding where your spouse is at. It's, well, husbands, it's understanding where your, where your wives are at. It's wives understanding where their, where their husbands are at. And it's parents understanding where their children are at. Let me tell you something. As a dad, I found myself being very uncompassionate toward my children over certain things. And I just, well, you just need to grow up. That's life, deal with it. It'd just be, be tough now. And Ryan, miscompassionate. <laughs> Good mama. She was the one they went to. Guess why? She's compassionate. But they needed that not from just their mama. They needed it from their daddy. They needed a somebody to listen, somebody to understand, somebody to go, I, I care about what you're going through. I look back over my life as a dad and as a husband and I look at so many opportunities that I missed to care about what they were going through because I just wasn't compassionate. I wasn't filled with compassion for them. And, and here's the sad thing about it. I could, have easily, I could easily be compassionate toward a stranger. I can be compassionate to a stranger easier than somebody living under my own roof. Before we're ever going to be truly compassionate to other people outside of our home, we've got to be compassionate to people within our home. We need to be honest. We are more prone to want to fix problems than listen to them. How many times has somebody come to you with an issue and you went into fix-it mode and they just wanted somebody to talk to? Man, sometimes, let me tell you, my wife has gifted me with this. There are times whenever I've said some things, and man, she just listened. And it was such a blessing to be heard. And she didn't just listen with her ears, she listened with her eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we go into fix-it mode, and so we hear something, and immediately we start trying to fix the problem instead of just be compassionate and to suffer with whatever they're going through. Our children are going to go through so many changes. They're going to come home from school with so many different challenges. And here's the problem for adults. We forget what it's like to be a kid. And we see what they're dealing with is not as serious as what we're dealing with. But let's guess, guess what it is to your kids. It's serious to them. And in that moment, they need compassion. That word compassion means I'm going to go through this with you. We're going to get through this together. And we're going to suffer together. And that takes a mom and a dad who's willing to listen. And that takes a husband who's willing to listen to his wife and a wife who's willing to listen to her husband. But you know what? It's not just the listening. It's the compassion. It's saying, I care about you. And if you're going through this, I'm going through it with you. We're going to do this together. And it's just holding sometimes. It's just being there. It's being present. And it takes time to show compassion, doesn't it? I mean, you've got so much going on in your life. You've got this to prepare for. You've got deadlines and, oh, and now all this is going on. I don't have time for this right now. 
There's nothing in the world more important than you caring for your family. Let me tell you that. There's nothing more important in the world than you listening to your children, to your spouse, and being compassionate, all right? So that's the first thing. Be committed to Christ. And through that commitment, allow His compassion to rule in your hearts, all right? Be compassionate. Suffer with showing care. And by the way, you do that in your home, guess what you're going to do a lot more easily at church? You're going to show compassion at church when people are going through issues as well. When there's loss of a job or cancer or going through some difficulty, you'll be able to just stop and listen and be caring and compassionate. That's who we're called to be. We're not like the world. We're different. Christ was compassionate. You know, we, I, think, I think one of the things, man, I just want to say something to men. I think men, sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just not masculine to be compassionate. Let me say something to you. Jesus was compassionate, and there's not a greater man who ever lived than Jesus Christ. He's compassionate. Be compassionate. Be willing to go through difficulties together. Secondly, a commitment to Christ leads to a home of kindness. Do you know, has anybody ever told you this? This is what it says, put on, put on, put on kindness. Um, has anybody ever told you that kindness is a gift? You ever heard that? Kindness is a gift. It's something you give. Uh, it's undoing what somebody else has done, or it's undoing some wrong. And this isn't just talking about being kind to somebody who's kind. I'm going to be nice to those who are nice to me. No. Being kind here means that you're being kind, you're showing kindness to somebody who probably don't deserve it. That, the, the, think of it like this. You don't have to command kindness if everybody's kind to you. You're going to naturally be kind if somebody's already kind, but typically this is in the context of something bad going on or someone being unkind. In fact, Proverbs 51 speaks to this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So here's what this looks like in the home. You come in, your wife is upset, she's in the flesh, she's mad, and she confronts you over something you did. Again. Same thing was last week. All right, she's mad, she's angry about it, she's in the flesh. But instead of responding with an angry word to your wife, you respond, respond to her with a soft word. You know, I, I'm going to own that. I, I, you're right. I'm sorry. You, you know, it's a response. Now, that's a gift that you just gave to your wife. Because here's what you're doing, man. You're helping her come down from her anger. You're doing what Scripture said, a soft word turns around wrath. It turns, you're, you're bringing that in and you're gifting your spouse something she needs. You're able to, to bring that down. You find a way through the soft word spoken, through ownership, through working through that in a way that's kindness and you're gifting them. You know, this, this is so key for marriage and, and married couples because there are going to be so many times that you're going to be in the flesh and, and you're going to come in. And guess what typically happens? Let me just tell you what typically happens. You being in the flesh gets your spouse in the flesh. And so you come in and you start ranting and raving. Well, I'll tell you why I did it. And then all of a sudden it's excuses. You're not accepting it. You're excusing it. And you're too prideful now because you've had all kinds of stuff that you've gone through. And the next thing you know, man, this thing is blown up and you're fighting, you're screaming. Kids feel the tension in the house. Everything negative that could happen is happening. When all it would have taken, you know what? You're right. Yeah, think of it like this. The next time you're confronted with a situation like that, you know, about three or four hours from now, <laughs> gift your spouse with kindness. And that works the other way. Wives, whenever your husband's all angry, gift him with kindness. See what you can do. Try, if, if anything, we should try to outdo one another with kindness. And by the way, this has happened in church. I, I've, been, I've, been in, I've been in the pastorate for over 20 years. And I've had people who have had to come to me over some really tough issues. 
And I know in their minds, when they come to their pastor, they're feeling bad. They've been struggling. They've been dealing with some things or not dealing with some things or going through some sin. And they come to me and it is, before they start talking, they just, they start quivering. They start crying and admitting to me things that they're going through. Scared to death as to how I'm going to respond. But do you know what I've made a practice? First of all, here's my practice. You're not going to tell me anything that's going to make me mad. I, this is a rule for me as a pastor. You're not going to tell me anything that's going to make me mad or disappointed in you or angry at you. And I'm not going to look at you and go, well, I'm just disappointed in you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to gift you with kindness. Do you know what rebuke is? Rebuke is being kind. I don't know where we get the idea where this idea of rebuke is, uh, is negative and sometimes we got to be confronted. Hey, you know what? This is wrong. But there's a way that we come across. We gift them with kindness and we empathize and we understand. We're being understanding and we're, again, we're showing compassion at the same time we're giving kindness away as a gift. And, and you can do that. You can do that in your home. You can do that with your children. You can gift them with kindness. I'm going to admit something here that's really difficult for me, but um, I want it to be something that you can learn from. Earlier in my marriage, my wife and I didn't ever, we didn't live close to our family for the most part, so we would travel in. And so we'd come in, we'd go visit family, and we'd typically go to my parents' house. And there was at least one or two days that my wife had scheduled to go see her family, which wasn't too far, 15, 20 minutes away. And I didn't want to go to my in-laws. I would have rather stayed on the farm and I had things I needed to do. I had a limited amount of time. I just, I wanted to stay there. And there were times that I did go and when I went, I would gripe. I'd fuss. And I wasn't very kind to my wife because I made it about me. My mother-in-law, Barbara, passed away. And it was through that that I, I realized a lot of missed opportunities that I had. But more than that, I still live with the pain of not showing kindness to my wife through just going and seeing her parents. There's some things that, as a family, we are responsible to do. We need to be there for each other, no matter how difficult it is. Being kindness, or being kind is gifting our spouse. It's doing something for them that goes against really some things that maybe we want to do or don't want to do. And I don't want you to live with that pain. If your spouse needs something or they're doing something, do something with it. Be kind to them. And so commitment to Christ leads to a home of kindness. Commitment to Christ leads to a home of humility. Humility means I count myself more important uh, or I count you more important than myself. Listen to Philippians 2. Verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When you're being selfish, guess who's the most important person in the room? Say it. <laughs> I am, right? You are. When you're being selfish, you're more important. Your needs are more important than anybody else. But humility is when you're not thinking about yourself. Humility is when you're thinking about others over your needs. You're thinking about your children. You're thinking about your spouse. You're thinking about others in the home. It's not about you. You're not making the home all about you and what you want. The most miserable couples that I have ever met are ones who try to make everything about them. But the most life-filled, joyful couples I know are those who are always there serving their spouse. They're there to meet each other's needs. They're there to minister to their kids. How did Jesus live on earth? Did He come here to be served? Did He come here and say, hey, y'all wash my feet? 
No, he humbled himself and he served others. He served those closest to him. And being humble in a marriage and in the home is not an easy thing. Do you know, I, I was, we were out yesterday and my wife and I were just having a, a good time. And there was a guy there that at the store we were at, he was checking us out and he just, I don't know how the conversation came up, but something came up about marriage. And he said, man, I just finished my first year of marriage. And I ain't going to lie to you, it was tough. And I was like, man, I said, um, yeah, I said, that was probably the toughest year of my wife. And I got married. I said, but, but, but think about it. I said, when you get married, you're taking two sinful, selfish people and putting them in the same house together. And he said, well, that's a little harsh, but that's true. I said, well, of course it's true. I said, man, I said, I don't know you. And I said, you're selfish. I said, but I'm selfish too. You know what we are? We're selfish people. Humility is not something that comes naturally. Humility is something we have to put on. We have to bring ourselves down to where it's not about us. It's about others. That's how Jesus lived. Commitment to Christ leads to a home of not just humility, but also meekness. You know what meekness is? You've heard this before. Meekness is strength under control. It's in other words, it's having the power and the ability to say something, but you don't. It's having the power or the authority to do something, but you don't. You hold back. That's what being meek is. Meek is when you have the ability. Think about Jesus. Jesus was meek, right? He had the power and the ability to do what he wanted to do, and yet he held that back. That's meekness. It's like putting a bit in the, in the, in the, in the mouth of a horse. It, there's not a person in the world stronger than a horse. And yet people ride on horses all the time. That horse is meek. That's what they call it. It's being meeked because you are bringing power under control. And there are times in the relationship, there are times in the marriage, there are times in, in, in parenting where you have the authority, you have the power, you have the right to come in and say something, but you don't. You hold back. You pull back when you could have, you don't, because that's what it means to be meek. You're being wise by holding back and not just exercising authority, exercising your right, exercising your power, or whatever it is you want to call that. You're being meek. You're controlling yourself and how you feel. You're not being led by your emotions. You are controlling your emotions. That's what it means to be meek. When you're committed to Christ, you're committed to be meek. And there are going to be times when you, you do, you have the right. You have, you, you, you have the authority. But just because you have the right and the authority doesn't make it permissible. Sometimes we need to keep those things under control. All of this is tied down to the same thing. It's going back to restraint. It's going back to self-denial. It's going back to counting others more important than myself. It's being humble, meekness. And then finally, another thing here we see, commitment to Christ leads to a home of patience. Patience says, I'm going to wait on you. How many of you had to wait on somebody to get to church this morning? <laughs> patience is waiting on somebody. If you have kids, you know what it means. How difficult it is because you're operating at a different pace. Your kids aren't concerned about getting there on time. They never will be concerned about getting there on time as long as they're children. That means nothing to them. They have other things they would rather do. Uh, yesterday we saw a young, we saw a young um, man, a young father, had two young boys, little bitty boys. And we were in a department store and they're in there just running all over the place. And he's trying to shop. Now, my wife and I look at it on this side of raising kids and we thought, oh man, I missed that. I look over at the dad and he's just like, buy a shirt and get out of here. He was so ready to leave. He, was, he, was, he had put up with those kids all he wants because he was living in the moment. Now, I remember those emotions. When you have children, you're going to have to be patient as a parent. When you're a husband and you're a wife, you're going to have to be patient with your spouse. And that's on all different types of levels. We're not always going to be at the same place. But here's a great thing to remember. You're always on the same road. You're just different places in the road. And sometimes you've got to be patient and let them catch up. 
But it requires the one that's out front to be patient with those who are behind. And so be patient. This is what commitment to Christ will produce in your life if you will allow it to do so is that it will produce a home of humility, a home of meekness, a home of patience, and a home of endurance. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another. You know what the difference is between patience and endurance? Patience is I'm patiently waiting on you. Enduring is I'm putting up with you without complaining. There's a difference. I'm just not going to complain about it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to put up with you and I'm going to put up with the annoyances. I'm going to put up with all of these things because that's what it means to endure. You're enduring through the strain. You're enduring with your children. You're enduring with your spouse. You tolerate certain things. There's all sorts of things you can complain about in your home, I promise you. There's all sorts of things about how the home looks, the cleanliness, whether you put up this, you put up that. I get it. And there's some things that we have to put up with. We have to wait. We have to be patient. We patiently endure. Those two things actually go together. Now, this is all going back to who we are in Christ, because let me tell you something. If you are not committed to Christ, you will operate in the flesh and these things will go out the door. We see the commitment to Christ leads to a home of forgiveness. Look at verse 13, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is showing grace. Let me ask you something. What, did God, what has God done for you in all of your sins? What did he do? He forgave you. He forgave you of all your offenses. He forgave you of every thought, of every deed, of every word. He not only just put up with you, he not only has patience with you, he forgives you. And this is what we do. We choose to forgive. And you have to understand here, this is putting the responsibility on the one who's been offended. It's, if you've been offended, it's your responsibility to forgive. You know, I, I, I deal with married couples a lot, and one of the things that always comes up in marriage counseling is something that happened five years ago or 10 years ago, but it comes up every week. It just keeps getting brought up. It keeps getting brought up. It keeps getting brought up. Guess what that is in a marital relationship? That's bitterness. You have grown bitter over an offense. You've been offended and you are not going to let it go. Now then, let's, let's, let's see how all this connects together. You've been offended. You've been hurt. He said, Brother Gary, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did to me. Doesn't matter. Let me tell you, let me, let me say this. Does it, I don't mean it doesn't matter and that it's not real. I mean this, there's bigger things at play. Whenever you are kind, you're gifting someone, right? Do you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is also showing kindness. It's giving somebody what they don't deserve. I've literally had people tell me that, well, he don't deserve my forgiveness. That's exactly why you forgive him. Did you deserve to be forgiven when Jesus forgave you? Did you? Nobody deserves it. It wouldn't be forgiveness if it was deserved. It would be earned. In a marital relationship or with your children, we forgive not because somebody deserves to be forgiven. We forgive because of grace. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And we forgive because we are committed to Christ. And so this is what a home, a committed home looks like. It's a home that's filled with patience and endurance and kindness and humility and forgiveness. It also leads to a home of love. Look at verse 14. We're just going to mention these last few things and we'll be done, y'all. Commitment to Christ leads to a home of love. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, this is interesting here because the word put on here or above all these things, love, the word put on is added for smoothness of language. It says above all these things, love. And here's the thing. It's a command. Now, what does that tell us about love? If love is a command, then love is, or if it's a command to love, then love is a choice, right? Love means it's not emotion. Love is not an emotion. Love is not how you feel about your spouse. Like I told you earlier, emotions follow commitment. When you're committed to Christ and you're loving Christ, you're going to be committed to your spouse. You're going to love your spouse. And, and whenever you are committed to Christ, you're going to have a home filled with love. And that love is a choice. 
You are choosing, I am choosing to love my spouse. I'm choosing to honor them. I'm choosing to respect them. I'm choosing to serve them. I'm choosing to give to them. I'm choosing to love my children. I'm going to do this. And so it's a choice. Now, this is where we get in trouble. If I believed, you've heard this, well, you can't help who you love. If I believe that, my wife's never leaving the house again. Because if she just met somebody and she can't help it, I mean, she might find somebody out there better than me. I know that'd be hard to do, but she could. (laughs) And she couldn't help it. If that's the case, we're in big trouble. Let me tell you something. You can't help it. More than anything, I've heard people who've gotten divorced come to me and they've said, well, we've just fallen out of love. No. You're making a choice to not love your spouse. You see, when you say you've fallen out of love, what you're saying is, I just don't feel the emotions of love anymore. Let me tell you something. You're raising kids. There's going to be times when you don't feel the emotion of love towards your spouse. There's going to be times when you're not going to be emotionally in tune with one another. Commitment is stronger than emotions. A commitment is that no matter how I feel, I love you. I'm yours. I'm devoted to you. I belong to you. I'm responsible to you. I'm obligated to you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to be humble. All of these things. But that all comes through commitment. And all of this is what the home was designed to look like. And it leads ultimately to peace. Look at what it says in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The word peace here is a word that's associated with the lordship of Christ. Lordship is recognizing the authority of God. And what that does is that it produces peace of oneness because we are submitted to Christ ruling in our hearts. In other words, we're not ruled by how we feel. We're not ruled by our emotions. We are ruled by God. We let God overrule our fleshly desires and bring ourselves into submission to God. And through that submission, we find harmony. We find peace. We find connectedness. I I believe most people want all of these things in their home. They want peace. They They want love. They want compassion. They want kindness. They want all of these things in their home. But here's the thing. We have in our culture today, homes that are failing miserably every single day because none of these things are in the home. And here's the thing. You can't just go get these things. These things that I've just mentioned to you are a response to our commitment to Jesus Christ. Without a commitment to Christ, you're not going to be able to muster these things up. And guess what will happen? You'll be another statistic. We're different. As Christians, we've been called to be committed. We've been called to be devoted. And when we do that, we will experience the blessing and the joy of all that God has to offer through these things that we desire. Every one of us would desire to have a home like I just mentioned. And when we see these things, this commitment to Christ, we'll see all of that, and then we will see a home that is filled with worship. You will see a home that is dedicated to Christ by, uh, by, by leading your, your families to not just come to church, but to be part of a church family and fellowship and experience the blessings that come with belonging to a body of believers. That's what Paul means at the closing of that. So I'm going to challenge you this morning. We, we go through this list and we think about what it means to be kind. We think about what it means to be compassionate. We think about what it means to have peace in our home and to have a home that's filled with, uh, with just this satisfaction and forgiveness. But how do we get there? It all goes back to one thing, whether or not we're committed to Christ. It's so for every one of you in your home, husband, this is for you. Wife, this is for you. Children, is for you. You have to ask yourself, are you committed to Jesus Christ? Is He the one that you are committed to? 
And if you answer yes, do you see those things in your life? Are you expressing those things through a commitment to Christ? And if you're not, start. So I challenge you today to be committed and recognize the commitment through the fruit. Do you see these things in your, in your home? Is this what I shared today reminiscent of what's in your home? Or is your home not very peaceful? Is it, is it stressful? Is it not filled with forgiveness? Is it not filled with love? Is it not filled with all of these things? Well, then commit to Christ and change the trajectory of your family through that commitment. Be committed. And you say, well, I am committed to Christ. Prove it. Prove it. Let your light be seen in your home. Let me pray for us. Father, as we think about the home today, and as we think about our commitment to Christ, Lord, I help, pray that you would help us to evaluate, are we these ways? Do we see these characteristics of Christ in our lives? Lord, I pray for our husbands today to search their hearts and to see if they can identify with compassion and love and forgiveness and patience and endurance? Or are, they, or are they struggling in those areas? Are they running from those areas or failing in those areas? Lord, I pray that you would help them to evaluate their commitment to Christ. Or that they would be so committed to you that it wouldn't be about them. It wouldn't be about success and failure and how they feel and their emotions, but it would be about a commitment and that they're sold out to Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Lord, I pray that for our wives, or that they would just be sold out to Christ and recognize their need to have you as Lord and not be led by their emotions, but to follow your, your word, to go against their flesh, to go out against how they feel. Lord, I pray that for our, our, our children. I pray that our families will find the peace and the harmony in their homes that you desire for us. And Lord, I pray the same thing for our church. Lord, what's reflected in our home is reflected in our churches. Lord, I pray for our churches to be filled with homes that are practicing these things. And Lord, if they are, Lord, I know that it'll produce dynamic worship, produces homes that worship the Lord Jesus in faithfulness when we are committed to you. So God, help us to know it all comes back to our commitment to Christ. And I pray these things that you would be, receive the glory and honor from it. In Jesus' name, amen.